The Sixers Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. Right now, you can pick up tickets to Friday night's game between the Sixers and the Pelicans for just $12. That's barely more than the price of a Wawa run. And GameTime will give you all the information you need to make an informed buying decision, including panoramic seat view photos, so you can check out the view before you buy. And with GameTime, the whole process will be quick and streamlined, getting you checked out in just a few taps, taking less time to buy tickets than it will take me to record this ad read. But GameTime doesn't just sell sports tickets. You can also get music and theater tickets as well. Whatever you're looking for, GameTime has you covered. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bonner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletic Podcast Network. A quick quick reminder, if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash Sixers Beat. You can get 40% off. You can get all of our written content. And you get a bonus subscriber-only podcast each week, so go check that out. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. We are about to get in the real fun part of the schedule. The Sixers so far have taking care of business. You know, they've won whatever they want here, seven of their last eight. And then if you go back even farther, 11 of their last 13 games, they now sit at 18 and seven, which is good for the fourth best record in the Eastern conference. They're a half game behind the Jimmy Butler, Miami heat. And then they are a game behind the Boston Celtics, Milwaukee bucks, of course, pacing the pack at 21 and three, but they are playing. Let's rephrase that. They are winning a lot of basketball games. And they're coming out of an easy portion of their schedule that's largely been at home. They'll be tested a lot more. But at the end of the day, they're taking care of business. And I guess you sort of have to acknowledge that. And the most recent one was a 97-92 win over the Denver Nuggets. A really good team. A team that started the season 13-3, and but has struggled here of late, losing four of the last five, as they just cap off a, a long road trip. So there's a lot of good and a lot of bad to take away from this team. I guess let's just zoom out a little bit, not talk about any specific game. What's sort of been your main takeaway here over the last couple of days of previous games? I would say the press conferences after the games have been more exciting than the games or, or more more interesting than the games. Because on Saturday, you have Cleveland come in here, and that was a process-level team. That team sucked. So, so whatever. And it was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Ben Simmons dunking any possession he wants. Brett draws up the, the pick and roll for Trey Burke and he gets the catch and shoot three and the, the crowd goes crazy. And he, uh, he's still a hundred percent on real threes that he's taken this season. <laughs> but after the game, Brett comes in with some spice and he says, yeah. I want him shooting eight free throws a game and one three per game. And that was in response to a question that was... And by the way, in the, in the two games since that comment, he has taken no three-pointers and four free throws total. So not quite there. Not the... Uh, you know, it's, you got to trust the process, not the not the results of what the uh, the motivational tactics are from the coach. But yeah, that was a question that had nothing to do with what are your goals from him. But 
it was clear to me that after Simmons played one of the best games, I mean, I don't think a lot of other NBA players could have, could have done that. He was crazy. I I mean, I forget exactly what it was, but I think it was 32 points in 26 minutes and a bunch of assists and everything. 34.7 assists, three rebounds, two steals, two blocks, 12 of 14 from the field, nine of 12 from the free throw line. And of course, that aforementioned one of one from three point range. I will have to uh, let me correct myself. He did take a three pointer against Denver. It was a heave. We asked Brett, Brett, Brett Bowne after the game whether or not that counted towards his quota. He said no. So I said he took no three pointers in two follow up games. I realized he took that one heave. Doesn't count. Moving on. Yeah. And, and it was clear after the Cleveland game that Brett sensed after a perfect performance, that was the time for the first time to pressure Simmons publicly on that subject. He's usually very supportive of him. He's usually pretty big on the, I think this is completely overblown. I don't know why we're talking about it this much. And he changed course a little bit the other night, which was funny because he was asked afterwards, is it still overblown? And he said yes. So he was basically contradicting himself. But he knows... The way, the way he phrased it, he said the drama around it is overblown. But the need for the shot is not, Well, which I don't know how you can have one without the other, because if you need the shot and it hasn't come in three years, there's going to be drama that follows it, but whatever. And, and your statement provided some drama there, or not. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to say drama because it, it looked worse than the way he said it. He said it kind of in a, in a joking manner, in a... You can tell his agent and his family and his trainers and all that stuff. Yeah. And there's, there's a joking context behind that, for sure. But but it was interesting that he decided to use that moment to to come out and say what I think a lot of fans have wanted him to say for a long time and perhaps clue us in on what goes on behind the scenes and, and what the conversations are like. And, and he had been asked about that a lot as well. And then last night, sorry, well, it's not a podcast if I if I don't say that. <laughs> after the Against the N- Nuggets, yeah. Yeah, after the Denver game, you have a rock fight. Against a good defense, what's the, Denver is the third ranked defense in the league, I believe. Second or third, they're real, they're they're right up there. Yep. And before the game, we were having a conversation with Kyle, and we were talking. I I don't really know how they're ranked that high. It doesn't seem like they have the personnel to execute a scheme to that level. I, the one thing I will say is Paul Millsap is still really really good defensively, yep. and he does, you know, kind of the subtle Al Horford type things to to make a defense and and lift it up to that level. But I was just impressed with their their whole team. I was impressed with Jokic, I was impressed with Gary Harris, everybody. It seemed like the Sixers were a little bit off from 3 and, and they were helped by that, especially Horford and Richardson. You know, you have Richardson coming back after missing 6 games whether he's still a little bit banged up or it's just a need to uh to get back in the rhythm he was in. And if you'll recall before the injury, he was on fire for about a week there. And, and then Horford was just missing open shots. You know, he, he couldn't buy one. So, so they were a little bit helped by that, but with the average shooting game from the Sixers from three, they took away all the easy stuff. And then after the game, you have Embiid, uh, you know, he's pretty honest about how he's not having as much fun and, Maybe he uh, he's masking a little bit of the uh, of his frustrations with the offense, with 
trash talk and maturity talk, but it's clear that, that he is a little bit frustrated with how things have gone to start the year, despite the fact that the Sixers are now 17-8. and eight. They seem to be cruising to somewhere in the 50-win mark. And, and while his offense has is down a little bit, the scoring and the efficiency is down a little bit, He's still really impactful and but but it's clear to you know, he made it clear that he's you know, something's a little off. And and I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. So let's go ahead and write right to those Embiid comments. Uh I'll read some of them. First question 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 was from you, uh asking about late game offense and not having Jimmy there and basically how he thinks he's done in a closer's role. And Embiid starts off not good enough, uh still getting used to it. Um, you know, I've been trying to adjust. Obviously, it's not the same as last year. It's completely different. The, the adjustment has been hard, but I'm still trying. And then he goes, I'm going to you know, do whatever the coaching staff asked me to do. And all if they need me a ball, a ball screener or a rebounder to take three shots, he'll do it. But he, he started off being, basically saying it's not the same. It's a big adjustment. I'm still trying to get used to it. And I need to get better. And then a couple minutes later, like a, a minute or so later, pretty close in the press conference, you know, a reporter asked a pretty benign question. It was, you know, Basically, he had that moment where he was trying to hype up the crowd and they asked, you know, does that feeling ever get old for you? Basically, the reaction from the crowd. What's it like to have them behind you like that? And and be, he starts it off with, I haven't done it enough all season. I have not been having fun like usually. Like I said, just mainly because I'm still trying to figure it out, you know, how to make it work and all that stuff. And through that point of the question of, of Embiid's answer, it very much felt like, you know, when he said, mainly because I'm still trying to figure it out, uh, how to make stuff, all that stuff work. It very much feels like he's still talking about the offensive flow and his role in it and how everything fits around him. And then he sort of pivots to, um, so, you know, it goes back to me being mature and one of the biggest parts of my game is having fun. And by having fun, it's trash talking. But that that part has been cut. I just need to be myself. Um, yeah, Basically, yada, 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 talking about, he then goes on to say he let his team down with the Towns fight. Um, I'm not trying to be a distraction to my team. The fight with Towns happened. Uh, we had good momentum, and from there, we just kind of lost it. We lost a couple games, so I'm trying not to be a distraction. And he basically ended it with, everybody tells me I need to be uh, more mature, so I'm doing it, and I don't think it's working, but I'm going to keep doing it. So to me, it, it felt like there were two distinct parts of that yep. answer. And I almost wonder whether or not he realized, hey, I shouldn't really be, like, if I continue on with this about offense, people could read into that. So I'm going to switch to, you know, trying to be mature and not having fun and not trash talking, which, by the way, I'm sure he wants to trash talk. Like when he made those comments to Zach Lowe that he was not going to do that, we all said, yeah, sure. okay, Joel, like we'll believe it when we see it. And by and large, outside of the night with Towns, when he got in that fight and then extended that to Instagram, he has been. And you do wonder if he's talked like what did the team say to him directly after that happened that has sort of caused maybe a little built up frustration or tension there uh and it certainly feels like that might be a part of it but i do also feel like that first part was pretty directly related to the offense and look the loss of 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 reddick and butler are pretty big for joel you know reddick is there was there's a a read and react style to their game besides just how well their their styles and their skill sets complement each other that whole two-man game was very instinctive for both of them like they didn't have to think about it. They could just play that quote unquote dance and they knew where each other was going to be. They knew how to get each other open looks. They knew how they would get open looks as a result of that. And everything with Embiid's game right now, offensive game feels very thought out and methodical. And like it, it requires like he's, he's thinking a lot more than reacting. 
So I could see how that would be frustrating. And Jimmy, A, besides the fact that you could just run a, a pick and roll with him, and, and we talk about this all the time, but there's nobody to really generate offense for Embiid. He has to create a lot of his own offense by himself. But also there was a, a personality style that those two were pretty locked in together. So I, I, I mean, we said this at the time, but I do think the loss of those two has, has hurt Embiid a little bit. And I also think the loss of spacing has hurt Embiid. Just forget about the personality or, or, or the people. Just the fact that this team, I mean, look at, look at, look at quote unquote last night's game and we'll probably get this out today. So that might even, that might even hold Woo-hoo! up. <laughs> we'll see. No promises. No promises. But, you know, you just watch the game and look, that was the first game the starting lineup has played together in a long time. I think they had, what, six games off before that. And Richardson missed two other games in there. Horford missed a game or two. Embiid missed a game. Like, everybody's been missing time. This team team has barely played together, the the starting five. I think coming into the game, they had 102 minutes on the season. We're already a fourth of the way through the season. This has not been a high-minutes lineup. But last night against the Nuggets, they did not look good. Their spacing was off. Their timing was off. They didn't look like they knew where to be. And, and Embiid didn't really look like he knew how to counteract that spacing. He ended up falling into a lot of mid-range jumpers, which, quite frankly, against Jokic was probably not the worst decision in the world. It's okay, yeah. But they're just it's not coming nearly as easy to him as it has in years past. I do think there is some frustration there for that. And I do think he is trying to find the right balance of, of not acting out on and off the court uh, while still having fun. And, and a lot of people bring it up. You know, does Embiid look like he's having fun? No, it doesn't look like he's having as much fun as he used to. And how much of that is a temporary problem and how much of that is something to really be concerned about? I'm not 100% sure, but he certainly did, you know, sort of let us in a little bit last night. Can you have a quarter life crisis in the NBA? You know, is, <laughs> is it one of those things where it's just, yeah, the regular season has been there, done that. And I, yeah. I'm just talking about in terms of his NBA career, where he's been in the league for a while now. He is judged in a way where the regular season doesn't matter quite as much anymore unless he's winning MVP awards, which he's not even close to right now. He would be a great filibusterer, I think, because I agree with you. He was beginning to talk about the offense in that quote and then talked for about a minute about maturity and trash talking. I I do think while the trash talking and and maturity part, I'm not going to say it's completely irrelevant. I'm not sure that's exactly the root of what is bothering him. And to simplify it, I would just look at it this way. With Butler and Redick, they had a team that complimented him, but also couldn't function without him. Now they have a team that doesn't compliment him, but when he's off the court, they do function without him well. I think they're up to... I don't know what the stats were well, through the, the Nuggets game, but they were plus 3.8 points per 100 possessions before that when he was off the court, which is a market difference from past seasons. So it's uh, it's, it's certainly an adjustment, and his uh, his surroundings are, are, are different. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a struggle. But I think it's it's worth noting that the Sixers have been fine to this point. Like like we said, maybe a little bit underwhelming in terms of their their quality of play. It's been an easy schedule, that's for sure. A lot of home games recently. But they're still winning and, and they're still dominating defensively, and that's because of him. You know, so they, so i I appreciate him being honest and and open about 
you know, what, what's bothering him. But it, it seems like something he should be able to get over at some point. And it does bear repeating. Like, they have beaten some good teams during this. Yeah. Like, they've beaten the Heat. They blew the doors off the Heat. They've beaten the Raptors. They would have uh, blown the doors the- off them if they knew how to break a press like a yeah. sixth grade CYO team does. <laughs> yes. They're up 20, late, like midway through the fourth quarter. Uh, they beat the Pacers and the Jazz and the Nuggets. Like, teams that are struggling, yes, but they're not talentless teams. So they, like, it's not a doom and gloom. No. And, like, I think when we look at this team, by and large, I think it's mostly been what we had, had expected. Their defense is much better than it was last year. But they need their defense to be not just really good. They need it to be dominant. And at times this year, it has been dominant. But I think the offense has lagged a little farther behind. Like, I think we all expected a half-court offense to be a struggle. I think we all expected that it wouldn't fit Embiid quite as well. And, and by the way, even last year's team, we talk about how good of a fit it was with Embiid. It still wasn't like a perfect fit. Um, if you were just going to design, you know, if you're going to take the Milwaukee Bucks approach, one star with a bunch of players who fit that star really well, like last year's team was nowhere near that blueprint. But it was a lot closer than this year's team is. But I think we all looked at the trade-off and, all right, this has a chance to be a really special defense. And let's see if they can figure it out offensively. And by and large, I don't think they have figured that out offensively yet. I think there have been some positive signs. Some occasionally positive signs. But uh, certainly it's still a lot of work to do on that end. Um, They're up to 13th in cleaning the glass in offense. That is strongly influenced by that Cleveland beatdown. That Cleveland game. And that heat game going back a little more influenced that significantly. Uh, and this is a team that probably isn't going to get blown out all that often. Like they have the defense and the transition game, which, which they hadn't had in previous years to keep them close a lot of nights. But, um, well, you know, we're going to have some interesting end of games. For sure. And I think the defense is a good point because you go to crunch time. What what was the final score of the fourth? The fourth quarter last night was 16, like 14 six, yeah. nuggets and the Sixers, they were up a little bit before that. So they were able to win. I think they scored two points in the pe- last four or five minutes. Yeah, but Denver scored like four. Yeah, so, and and that's yeah. the that's the the part of this that I'm trying to get at. We knew that this team is going to play rock fights. That's you know, and, and I guess there's a little bit of sadness after the game because oh man, our offense looked bad. Joe Joe's post ups were not working against Jokic. Frankly, I thought Brett should have pressed the Tobias button harder last night because he had Will Barton on him. And Will Barton was the Nuggets' best player last night, but he uh, he just couldn't handle Tobias. And Tobias has been uh, he's been pretty consistent in terms of you know he it won't be a super efficient night, but in these games last night he he goes for twenty points on seven of seventeen shooting. But they need him to shoot because with Embiid not firing on all cylinders, and Simmons only took six shots last night. Richardson obviously was not, you know, he's not nearly the player that that he he is when he's healthy and in rhythm. They they need Harris to to take a lot of the offense. But you look at the defense. Denver is a team that it's weird. It's it's in past years they were an all offense team, and they just don't know what they're doing on that end of the floor. To be fair to them, Jamal Murray was hurt on kind of a benign hip check by Ben Simmons early in the game. It did. A trunk contusion, which I've never heard before. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I'm frankly going to be honest here. I don't know what a trunk is, so I, I know what it is on an elephant. But is is that just your butt? I don't. <laughs> I mean, he got checked in the hip and then fell on his ass. So, so somewhere in that general vicinity is a a, a trunk. I, would I wish yeah. the medical report said that instead. Fell on his ass too hard. Hopefully, hopefully he's okay because that 
that looked like it shouldn't have been quite that bad. That that took him out of the game, so hopefully he's okay. But without Murray, they they went to Monty Morris a lot late. They just didn't feel like a team that knew what they wanted to do offensively. And, and Jokic's struggles have been they've been well documented this season. He's struggling even more than Embiid. He had an okay game last night, 15 points on 7 of 13 shooting. But against a team like the Sixers, if your identity is not formed offensively, you're not scoring on them. Yeah. You're getting bad shots at the end of the shot clock. I think who somebody had a couple bad – Millsap had a bad three he had to end up taking. There were just a lot of step-back jumpers, and that's the Sixers' defense, especially at the Wells Fargo Center. It's it's really hard to score on them, and – yeah, I, I think they they need to figure out what they're doing offensively. And Bede said that after the game, specifically when it comes to him and Horford playing together. That was another thing he admitted. But the defense looks really good. And that's, you know, for now, it's it's still December, as Brett Brown said before the game. Still got a lot of time to figure some stuff out. They are, they are now the third-ranked defense in the league. They have moved up. Up to dominant territory, which after starting the season... You know, I think I started the season through a couple of weeks. They were like 10th and then, then they moved up like sixth, and now they're all the way up to third, which is more in line with, I think, what what we expected. And they have been playing every bit of that. All right, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And then we'll talk about Ben Simmons. My schedule tends to be hectic and all over the place, inconsistent from one day to the next, which means planning out my meals or even shopping for fresh groceries doesn't always happen. Enter DoorDash. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city and ordering is easy. Open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code SIXERS. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code SIXERS. Don't forget, that's promo code SIXERS for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And now back to the show. So Simmons had that breakout game, which, like you said, his coach then went out and, and, and challenged him and said, this is, this is what we expect. Since then, he has not followed through on that, which I don't think really surprises too many people. It seemed really bad against Denver. There were so many times where he would get to the rim or near the rim and just not look at it. And he had that one play where he, you know, jumped up like he was going to take a five foot floater and then spin around and try to kick out to the corner. And Denver's a pretty disciplined defense and they picked it off. And there seemed to be like four or five of those moments against the Nuggets. It is, we said this after he made his first one, but it is so frustrating when this happens after he makes one because it just looks so, it it reminds you why in the hell are we having this so frequent conversation? Like, why is this such a thing? Because he can clearly do it. And he made that one against Cleveland. And I can go back to my, well, let's wait to see what he looks like when he does it against a real NBA team. You didn't tweet it. No, I didn't tweet. I was going to retweet that tweet, but I didn't didn't do it. And I'll go back to what I said at that time, because that's just a joke, because it doesn't matter. We're never asking him to take a a contested three. (sighs) I don't know. Like, people want Brett to call Ben out for it. People want Brett to bench Ben. I don't know if any of the, like, I'm I'm almost going to leave, you know, sort of 
Brett to make that evaluation because he knows the mentality of his player better than we do. He knows how they would react to that better than we do. That's a risky game to start playing. It did seem like you put a little bit of pressure on him with Cleveland, but I don't know how you follow up with him if the player is so unwilling to go through with it. It's uh, it's it's frustrating for sure. I, I will say against Toronto, and that's a good defense, he shot 8 of 11. He didn't he didn't take any free throws in that game, but he also dunked on Marcus Gasol really freaking hard. He did. You know what's interesting about that Toronto game? He came off of a lot of middle pick and rolls. Well, a a lot for him. I think there were maybe four or five plays that the team ended out of Simmons pick and rolls, including that dunk on Gasol. Brett was sort of asked about it after the game, and he's like, yeah, for some reason they they defend him out there. And when when teams do that, like we're going to allow him to make decisions. But most teams, when you run a high pick and roll, there's just, there's nothing to screen. There's nothing to come down off of. Um, But he, he did look good doing it against Toronto for sure. Rondé and I forget who, I guess it's OG is the other guy who guarded him in that game. Right. Those guys pick him up all the way at the other three-point line and guard him. It's almost like a high school point guard getting pressured who, uh, who who can't handle it. Of course, Ben can handle it because he's really fast and good. And his uh, his press breaking at the end of the game was not, was, whew. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there in a second. But yeah, he just, you know, it's, it's frustrating at this point where he can put up a game like he had against Cleveland, 34 points in, in no time, and it they were a pretty 34 points, too. It Everything looked good. And then a couple games later, it's not surprising at all to see seven points, three of six field goals, seven assists, four turnovers. You know, it, De- De- Denver obviously has better personnel than them. They execute the scheme better. But they... You know, he, had he had shots, oh man. He had he had open shots to take. Yeah, and he had four turnovers, and I would say at least two of them, but probably three, were them just preying on his bad habits of yep. of leaving his feet and having no plan and not looking at the rim, in Brett's words. And that's uh that's frustrating. As good as the defense has been, and it has been really damn good, that's frustrating. Yeah, it is. All right, let's get to the press break. I can't imagine they won't figure it out at some point, right? Yeah, he has to handle the fucking ball. Oh, like, oh, just <laughs> just looking back at his performance in that game. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. he's straight was, up he's straight was, up afraid to shoot free throws, and we've seen that yes. before. And look, when you're up, what were they up? I think they were up like twelve or thirteen with like three minutes left. Just make one. Going one for going one for two from the free throw line is perfectly okay. Yeah, like they're gonna put you on the line to see if maybe you'll miss six in a row, and then they can get back into it. But if you make three out of those six. Like you're walking away with a point per, per possession when you're holding a 13 point lead with three minutes left. You're not going to lose the game that way. You will lose the game by turning it over five times because you let Matisse Thibel try to break a press 80 feet from the basket while you sprinted down the court. It was freaking maddening. So there was one at the end of the game where, what were they up? I think it was probably with 20 seconds left. They were up seven, I think, or, or six. I don't know, but it was Lowry got the steal for sure. And he throws the ball into Th- Thibel. And this is, I mean, this reminds me of sixth grade basketball. Uh, the, <laughs> the old the old diamond press, which we used to run at St. Margaret's way back when. The, the, the guy guarding the inbounder traps the pass. And then you have to make yourself available. You can't run away from the ball. That's, that is before sixth grade basketball. That's third grade basketball. And, and he runs away. And so Ed, Lowry can guard two people. And it's just... It's frustrating because 
if he were willing to shoot the free throws, he's a one-man press break. He wouldn't right. be the inbounder. He'd be the guy you throw the ball into. They wouldn't have time to double him because he'd just be dribbling it down the court. He he, he has the speed and ball handling and passing to, to beat those traps. So, you know, but that's that's something we've seen in other forms, too. Sometimes he'll get the rebound and he'll play hot potato to the point where it's reckless, too. I, I, I think th- there is a line there. You, you, in an ideal world, would not want him shooting free throws. So if Tobias Harris is wide open... And you can sure, get, get and you can get in the ball, get it out yep. of your hands. Yep. But but that was frustrating. Now, to be fair to him, the the, the team's lack of ball handling was shown. Oh yeah. In, in a way that you just don't usually see from NBA teams. They have Thibel on the court. Thibel, after the second dribble, it's terrifying. There there was a play <laughs> where Nick Nurse with forty seconds left, as bad as their press breaking was for two minutes. Nick Nurse, I think they were. I think it was about a nine point game. The Sixers broke the press. They got it into the front court. And Nick Nurse called out the Ducks. He just said, guys, stop. Yeah. He was like, all right, guys, game over. And, Good effort. And yep. Matisse Dybul was standing right in front of him. So there's no way he didn't hear it. Somehow he just turns the ball over right away. He throws a ridiculous pass to Embiid, who's not even standing over <laughs> midcourt. And it's, uh, look, they didn't have Richardson in that game. And I'm sure he would have helped a little bit. And, and maybe you want to get on Brett for... General preparedness and not having another ball handler in the game. I can I can hear that a little bit, although at some point they had to bring Embiid back after he coughed the ball up three times because they have to get stops defensively if they're going to keep coughing the ball up. But uh, yeah, there was uh, that was a lot of blame to go around. That was a, about as bad of a three minutes as you can have. And it turned what should have been a really feel-good win into what the hell was the end of the game. I have I have never seen a team handle a press worse than that. I'm legitimately never in my basketball but at this level, obviously. Like, yes, I've seen. Um, you know, when I was eight years old, I'm sure our team struggled with the press too. But at this level, when you have this kind of ball handlers, and like you said, Simmons is a one man press break. Like he's too fast, he has too good of handles, he can pass over the defense if they do get him trapped. Like he it, it, he should never be useless in that situation. But you're right. You don't want him shooting free throws, but that's a hell of a lot better than putting it into the hands of people who aren't confident with the ball. So it was, it was, and, and Embiid had a couple of turnovers that weren't, he had one on the, the break. He had a couple of ridiculous turnovers. The there's, there's not. Well, he, he had, he had the one where he was trying to break the press and this has been a general problem with Embiid. Like his desire to try to like, catch and go like rebound and push the ball lately has been maddening. He should not be trying to go 94 feet by himself. A pick six last Um, night against Denver. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, then he had two in the half court that were just insane. Like he, one of the worst reads out of a double team I've ever seen where he just lofted (laughs) the ball up towards center court and gave him an easy two points. So he was not good. Simmons was not good. Thibel wasn't good, but he's a rookie who can't dribble. So you sort of expect that. There was there was a lot of and I, I I thought I thought Brett could have gotten frankly a ball handler in a little bit quicker. I thought they could have brought Neto in quicker. There was just it was it was a goddamn mess. It was a mess. But it was a perfect snapshot of why this team can be really hard to coach despite their great talent level. The two guys you couldn't trust at the end of the game are your best players. Yeah. So it, when you when you criticize Brett, I think that has to be kept in mind. Where he had a he had a good 
answer. I asked him about the turnovers before the Cleveland game because that came on the heels of, of Washington, which was just a disaster, that game. And, and he said that he basically breaks it down into four categories. And I don't remember exactly what the categories are. I'm, I'm going to write about this at some point. But there was a differentiator between when James Ennis passes into bad spacing when there's a uh, when there's a post up or when Embiid passes and and Ennis and Simmons run into each other. Brett basically said, "Those are on me. Those are my fault." But when Embiid's dribbling the ball off his foot after going through his legs three times, or or spinning, that one's on him. You can't do that. These turnovers at the end of the game from Embiid were very much the latter, and that's uh yeah. Yeah, he's he's had a lot of turnovers lately. Did he have seven against Denver? Yep. Uh, no, no, he had, he had four against Denver. He had seven against. Toronto. I think it was seven. Yeah, seven against Toronto, four against Denver. Not great, Bob. Not great. Uh, so, and his turnovers. So after, so he's up to in his last three games, he's had nineteen turnovers. <laughs> yes, which has brought his you know his turnover rate for most of the season was down for the uh, fourth straight year. It would have been down. Now it's as high as second year in bead at fifteen point one percent. Not approaching rookie year Embiid, which was 18%, which I've almost never seen for a, a post player. Uh, but it's it's really high and it's really bad. He's also had 12 assists the last couple of games as well. And he's made some nice post passes. Had a really nice one with uh, Mike Scott. And frankly, I think if you look back at that third quarter film from the Denver game, there were probably a couple more potential assists that guys just missed open threes. But the, the frustrating part is, a lot of his turnovers aren't coming from that post situation. No. Yep. They're just stupid extra turnovers, which he's just got to get rid of. He he is not, he should not be dribbling behind his back in traffic like he likes to. He should not be break, you know, trying to dribble the ball, advance the ball himself off of a rebound like he is. He's there's, there's a, you know, on the one hand, like his passing has been, most of his, his turnovers don't come from passes. The one real bad one against Toronto, notwithstanding. A lot of his turnovers come from dribbling and trying to do a little too much with the ball. Um, sometimes not getting the ball out quick enough from a double team, but a lot of times it's just it's really bad decision making, and he's got to get better at that. All right, let's uh, let's take one more quick break and then we'll talk about Matisse and non Embiid lineups and a quick look ahead. DraftKings Sportsbook is now officially available in Pennsylvania. As a trusted leader in daily fantasy, DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting and is already America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, you'll want to take advantage of the convenience to bet wherever, whenever, with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. DraftKings Sportsbook is so easy to use. You can deposit, place your bets, and withdraw in a matter of seconds. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And if you're already betting in PA, bet with another book and take advantage of DraftKings' great sign-up offer. Get a free bet just for signing up. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet just for signing up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet and you can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Restrictions apply. And now back to the show. All right. So one of the big runs the Sixers had against the Nuggets, really the only time they looked truly good during the course of the game, was in the second quarter when Embiid went to the bench, slid Horford to the five, and you had 
what you had Simmons and Horford, uh, Harris and Thibel and someone else. I forget exactly who, but those are sort of like your core four guys. And this, this group has been fantastic of late. And here I've got, I've got the numbers right in front of me. And I think, sort of watching specifically the, the Simmons, Thibel, Horford trio, because you sort of have, you know, four or five guys who are six, seven, six, eight, six, 10, like somewhere in that range. And they get real switchable. Their, their pressure defense gets better and they get out and they run, they run, they run. So they've played 284 possessions per cleaning the glass. They have a plus 21.5 point differential. Pretty good. Um, net rating over that span. And, and remember, this is a team that hemorrhaged points whenever Joel Embiid went to the bench. So the lineups I'm looking at now, they have those four people, Simmons, Horford, Thibel, and Harris, and without Embiid on the court. So these are all minutes without Embiid. They allow 94 points per 100 possessions, which ranks in the 99th percentile of all lineups. They allow other teams to shoot 45.9% effective field goal percentage, which, which again, takes into account the extra value of a three-point shot, which ranks in the 98th percentile. They force turnovers on 20%, legitimately one out of every four possessions from the opponent, which ranks in the 99th percentile. And remember, this is a team that over the past few years has not forced many turnovers at all. And their offense is good too, 115.5, which ranks in the 91st percentile. They don't even really turn the ball over all that much, uh, 15.1%, which is pretty much exactly middle of the pack. The only real area they struggle with is getting the free throw line, which isn't too surprising. But this is a team that then, let's see, hold on. You go to look at some of the transition stats of this unit. Frequency off of all transition opportunities, 99th percentile. Yeah, they points play, per they play, play points per possession. Yeah, they play fast and, and, and effectively, too. They average 126.4 points per 100 plays in transition, which ranks very highly as well. So this is a team that has been just destroying people. And part of that, is Matisse Thibel, you know, we talked a couple weeks back and we basically said, you, until Thibel figures out his shot, it's real tough to play him with Ben Simmons. Which is a shame because those two, when they're playing well, fit each other almost perfectly. And the way Thibel can force steals, force deflections, just get people out of their comfort zone, which can then trigger Ben Simmons in transition, which which can then trigger Matisse Thibel as a, a, a you know, lane runner and Transition three shooter in transition. It's been really fun to watch. And to be able to have that, that you can fall back on, you know, I think that was one of the things we looked at before the season was how well can Al Horford and Ben Simmons complement each other on the, uh, when Embiid's out of the game on both ends of the court, because that is something Simmons has never really had a big man who can compliment him when Embiid goes to the bench, both offensively and defensively. And I think so far it's probably played out better than you could have even hoped for. Yeah, we thought it was going to be good, and it's been better than than we thought. I uh, I, I think th- they should feel pretty good about what they're getting in, in terms of a, a team that not only can spell and beat during a game, but also let them take a night off. How about how about him after the game against Denver saying, "Well, if we're playing a bad team, I, I think we're going to win because that's why we got Al." We're we're doing pretty good with those lineups. And yeah, I think it, an underrated part is is bumping up Harris to the four as well. I, I think his speed and transition, his his trail opportunities, he's found a nice rhythm with Simmons as a Stiebel running running the, the the wings and getting corner threes. 
And and a big reason they've won these games on the homestand, despite some, some ugly stretches, Thibault's been out of control. Home Matisse Thibault is what what a player. I think his uh he doesn't score too many points, so the the home road splits aren't too crazy. But at home, he's a guy who scores. I have it right in front of me. Let's see, seven points per game, fifty four percent from the field, sixty six percent from three. On the road, I think that that goes to three points per game, thirty percent from the field, twenty percent from three. You, you would think the defense would be able to travel, but you know he, he averages more fouls on the road. It looks like too. It's just he he's been unbelievable, and I think he, you know he's going to have up and down moments. But man, I mean, he's been so freaking good the past couple of nights. Yeah, and I mean. You know, I think part of those home road splits are that he's just he's been playing better of late and they've been playing more games at home of late. Yeah. So I think there more, might be a little bit more experience just in general. Yeah. Yep. But also like shooters tend to shoot better at home. And I don't know. Yeah, that'd be fascinating to really dive into why. Like, is it are your legs more tired from the travel? Is it are you off your rhythm? Is it the crowd? Is it just familiarity? Like exactly why I'm not sure, but especially for young players and shooters, there's tends to be a, a pretty big change. And I do think it's helped him some. I think it's a combination of those two factors. But he has made 11 of his 16 corner three-pointers so far on the season, which is just an absurd. Like, I think NBA average is like 39-40% on corner threes. He has, you know, we look at a lot of, I don't know, what he, what is he shooting? Like 44% or something in that range. From three-point range, a lot of that, I think he's shooting about 34% above the break, and then 11 for 16 from the corners. And that's going to drop a little bit, but it also shows that, you know, Brett talked, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think after he had that five, five for five, um, performance against Sacramento that he's, he's taking better threes. He's more on balance. His feet are squared to the rim. He's not coming off of movement and dribble handoffs. Like he was, although he had one late in the game off a of dribble handoff, which seemed a little bit like a heat check, but he made it, but he's, he's taking more good, good shots and good three pointers than he was earlier in the season. And you know, I think, yes, I think those corner three numbers are going to come down. Like, I think he's going to he's going to struggle at some point in the season, maybe a couple of points in the season. But I do think he's taking better shots. And I think that's been been real key because he gets on that court with Simmons. Like I said, there is a, a such a good synergistic fit between those two that you really want him to be making those shots because everything else about their game complements complements each other. He could be more selective on those threes, too, when they're getting stops at that level. He yes. a lot of transition opportunities. He's not taking a three every time down the court, but he'll have these stretches where okay, one will pop up. Maybe maybe Harris runs the lane and and Horford hits him with an extra pass, and he is wide the f open on the left side of the court. Well, he, he's got to take that shot, and he's been yep. drilling those. He he's just had a couple of stretches in recent games where the energy from the crowd. It just it just lifts the building up to a different type of level that you don't usually have, and that stretch against Denver, of course, is the. I mean, that was I didn't think he had that type of dunk in him. That was a <laughs> double clutch, just just nailed Mason Mason Plumley with that dunk, and then you, Plumley you've takes never a, done that, Rich. I have not it. one of those in your basketball career. He's by the way, he's kind of a weird athlete in that he's not nuclear in terms of off one leg 
rising up in traffic and dunking on somebody. But if he gets ahead of steam, he really can throw down some pretty impressive dunks. And then Plumlee, of course, takes the garbage, I don't know, 18-footer on the other end. And, of course, Matisse comes back, and he gets the wide-open corner three, and he makes it. And I feel like he's shooting 100% on those shots where it's like, this is the chance to be an 8-0 run if you make this three. He's making that shot at every point right now. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch. He's We even said it when he was struggling. He's he's a unique, fun basketball player. So when things are going good, it's a blast. He Yeah. No, I mean, and look, if he can... It's so tough with a, a rookie because earlier in the season, my, my favorite stat of the early seasons for people are like, oh, well, he Sixers are 14 and one or whatever when he plays 15 plus minutes. But the implication being that as long as you play him more, they'll win more games. And usually what it means is he tends to play more than 15 minutes when he's playing well. And when when that happens, then the Sixers have a, a good chance to win. So it's not like just playing him more when he's struggling will fix that. And I think earlier in the season, you know, he came out and first of all, he just he couldn't make you shooting like 24 percent from the field over the first five or six games, that was unplayable. And then the next stretch of basketball, he was making really bad decisions defensively to the point where he was almost unplayable. So I think he needed, I think he needed to be pulled back during that time. You know, I think he needed to sort of recalibrate what is a good shot, what is a bad shot, what is a good gamble to make, what is a bad gamble to make. And to his credit, he's done that. And then to Brown's credit, you know, he's playing 20 minutes a night over the last 13 games and shooting 61% from three-point range over the that span, which is just preposterous. And as I say that, it sounds even more ridiculous. He's playing really good basketball. And if he does that, he has had such a dynamic to this team, such a playmaking to their defense, such a springboard for their transition game, that you hate to put so much on a 22-year-old rookie, but he really just, I mean, he changes the DNA of this team. He really does. Felt like after the game, there weren't many questions to ask him because we've asked him the last four games. Yeah. And then it turns into some people asking questions. Hey, Matisse, how does it feel to be good? And (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I don't have anything better than that. So he's just, uh, he's playing really consistent basketball right now. That he is. All right. Sixers have a couple of big ones coming up. They've got Boston on Thursday, Pelicans on Friday, JJ Redick. Coming back to town, Brooklyn, Miami, Dallas, Washington, at Detroit, and then the Bucks on Christmas Day. Interesting stretch of basketball. We got Jimmy Butler, we got J.J. Redick making their returns, we got the reigning MVP and that kind of contrasting style of play, a future MVP, and Luka Doncic. It will be a good good time to be a, a an invested Sixers fan because we will learn a lot about this team. Excited for the Boston game, too. Yeah. Yeah, a team that is playing better than I think a lot. Well, you know, I think when we when they won that game against Boston to open up the season, I don't think people necessarily realized how significant of a win that was. Uh, you know, the Celtics right now are 17 and 5. They have won six of their last seven games. Had a brief stretch there where they were struggling, but it looks like they have turned it back around what I think they've got their team mostly healthy now. They're hammering teams in Boston. Yep. So that would be a good measuring stick. Uh, it would be great if the Sixers gave you, inspired a little bit more confidence on the road. But that is that is an area where they will need to grow. 
I think that's a game where they can lift the spirits of everybody, the team, the fans, and, and everybody. I'm not, I'm not saying everybody's going to be completely down in the dumps if they were to lose, but it's an opportunity for sure to kind of, but before this Milwaukee game, because there's a lot of home games in between, in, in between that point, and I expect them to win a lot of those games, frankly, even if they are against good teams. This is a chance to prove something. And of course, are you kidding me, Rich? If they lose, it, it is an annual tradition to panic after every loss to Boston. So yes, people will people will read a lot into it if they lose. Yep, it'll be interesting to see how Horford plays too. I mean, I, I don't really care about him going back there, but I'm sure everybody in Boston does, and I'm sure he does. We will see two players taking um, jab step mid range jumpers, which will be fun. There's a fantastic impression of Marcus Smart impersonating uh, Al Horford's jab step mid-range jumper where he just nails it. Uh, But I think that's probably a good place to cut it off. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man.